The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. The Coach's Roundtable is also brought to you by Sequencer. Sequencer is a new product that uses simulation modeling to create a data-driven solution for lineup creation. Input your player stats, simulate thousands of different lineups with a couple clicks, and get feedback on which is most effective at scoring runs. Visit Sequencer for a free trial. That's S-E-Q-N-Z-R And feel free to shoot a note to at Sequencer on Twitter with any questions. They're also partnering with Driveline Baseball to add to their world-class product offering. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable podcast. Today, I've got three coaches who are going to break down all things pitching, and I'm excited for their insight and knowledge. But enough from me. Let's get to know our coaches, and I'll start with you first, Coach Barrett. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, Joel, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to, to get on and talk pitching with these guys. Um, for me, I got into coaching when I was in uh, still a player in college. Actually, I went back and coached a summer legion team for two years, um, and that's kind of where I realized, you know, I might want to do this for a living. Um, from there, once I got done playing, <clears throat> I uh, was lucky enough to get a volunteer job at Fresno Pacific University uh, under Coach Oscar Hirschhorn, and he taught me so much about the game, and um, I was just really thankful for my time there. After three years, I uh, couldn't do it anymore, couldn't do the volunteer thing anymore and had to make some some real money. So I went and got a full-time job. And then after about two months of that, I realized I was absolutely miserable with that. So I decided I wanted to coach again, um, apply for every job in the country and was lucky enough to get hired on at the University of Antelope Valley. Uh, Jacob Garces hired me on there uh, to lead the pitching staff. And I'm very fortunate. He turned out to be a great mentor and a really close friend for me. Um, I'm excited to be here for my going into my sixth year. I met my wife here. I've made a lot of good relationships and I'm just really excited to see where this team goes next year as well. Awesome. We're glad to have you, Coach Barrett. And what about you, Coach Herman? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, first of all, I just want to thank you for having me on here. I think this is a great opportunity, you know, during this coronavirus for coaches to really connect and, and keep a learning environment going. So this is great. Um, well, I started off, I, I was a um, player at Lock Haven University, Division II PSAC school. After I got done playing, um, I got into coaching right away. Uh, so I went to Delaware County Junior College and coached there. After that, um, I had the opportunity to be with uh, Mark Jackson at Westchester University for a couple of years. And then, you know, just kind of realized that I had to make more money. You know, there, there's not a whole lot of money in coaching baseball. You, most of the time you have to have another full-time job um, on top of it. So I, that's when I got into the high school ranks because it was a little bit easier to um, coach at the high school ranks um, and have that full-time job. So kind of got into that, started coaching at uh, Coatesville High School in Pennsylvania. Um, from there, became a head coach at uh, Sun Valley um, High School in Pennsylvania. And then I was at Phoenixville High School, so, um, and then I kind of had the opportunity with the way my work schedule works and everything that I could get back into um, coaching at the college level, 
um, where I was really comfortable, really loved to coach at the college level. So uh, Bob Spratt at Chestnut Hill College uh, gave me the opportunity to come along and uh, be his pitching coach. And this is going to be my second year um, with them. Very excited about this team, very excited about this program, um, and just want to continue to grow. Awesome. We're glad to have you on as well, Coach Herman. And what about you, Coach Leppert? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Hey, Coach. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I uh, played college baseball up at Eastern Nazarene College up in Quincy, Massachusetts. Um, I knew right away I was going to have to coach if I wanted to stay in this game, only pitching six innings in four years. Um, so I came out to the Kansas City area. I spent the first three years uh, as a pitching coach at Mid-America Nazarene University. I uh, went down to Friends University for a year serving as pitching coach and then took over as head coach for three years uh, before getting released uh, from my coaching duties. Came back to Mid-America for one year, served in the kind of a director of baseball operations role, uh, coach, helping out any way I could. And then really felt uh, called to work with high school kids. And that's what I've been doing for the last eight years. I spent uh, the last eight years with Coach Sabbath at Olathe West uh, for the last three years. And then the five years before that, we were at Blue Valley Southwest, where we were fortunate fortunate enough to win a state title in 2015. And then I spent also the last eight summers coaching summer baseball, which I absolutely love. And in my current role, I'm serving as a pitching coach for the Kansas City Royals and their scout teams traveling around the country uh, in the summer. And hopefully that'll continue this summer if we can get some clearance here from the state and local governments. Awesome. We're glad to have you on as well, Coach Leppert. So let's move into the baseball questions, and I'll start with you first, Coach Herman. When working with pitchers, what's a common mechanical flaw you see, and how do you fix it? Well, I think there's a couple flaws that I, that I typically see in guys. Um, one of the flaws that I, I see all the time is with their glove side and their front side and, and flying open and not staying, you know, kind of tight to the body. Um, the way we kind of try to fix that is we like to use uh, the Tom House cue of, of biting the burger. So it kind of gives them that, that idea mentally to kind of keep their glove tight, close to the body. Um, doesn't have to be perfect, but as long as we see that they're not flying open, um, they, re- they really buy into that cue. We also like to use the connection ball. Um, I think the connection ball is a great tool to use for pitchers and some mechanical flaws. So we like to use the, the connection ball on the front side to keep everything aligned and everything, you know, where it should be. Um, also, the, the lower half is, is a big one that I see, um, especially at the college level. They really um, don't use their hips as much as they could. They don't really lead with their hip. Um, a lot of them will come through in, the, in their motion and they'll lead with their foot in front of their hip, which doesn't really engage your backside as much, um, doesn't use your lower half as much. So we use um, religiously the Hershiser drill. So if, if anybody looks up the Hershiser drill, you could see it really shows how to lead with your hip and lead with your backside towards the catcher. Um, really engages the lower half and um, that's kind of how we do it. So those are a couple of the things that I see. There's always, you know, other minor things that you're going to see as a coach, but um, those are two of the bigger ones, especially the gloves. The glove side, I think, is more, you see that a lot with younger guys, with, with uh, high school kids, middle school kids, the younger kids. Um, the older guys tend to 
you tend to kind of have a good idea with the glove side. Um, at the college level, I think the biggest thing that, I, that I've seen so far is the lower half and the hips and leading with that. And what about you, Coach Lepper? What's some of the mechanical flaws that you see with pitchers that you work with, and then how do you fix it? Uh, he nailed it. We spend a lot of time uh, on the front side, um, hip mobility. I think that's one of the greatest causes of a lot of issues we're having is, is guys just aren't flexible enough uh, or strong enough in their lower half. Um, so a lot of times I think that causes some of the mechanical flaws. And, and just recently I've really been focusing on the lower half back foot. If you watch a lot of – if you watch high-level throwers, that back foot stays on the ground as long as possible. Those guys are really trying to keep as much force into the ground as possible. So um, I'm fortunate enough to have a 16-year-old stepson who's, who's a pitcher only. Uh, so he, he's kind of my guinea pig with some of this stuff. But, you know, him and I really focus on, you know, are the front side staying closed. Um, we do a lot of rocker drills to keep that front, that back foot planted as long as possible. And just working on our core strength and our flexibility. When I give lessons, uh, a D-bats, here in Kansas City, uh, over there's the coronavirus, we do a lot of Zoom calls. In the first 30 minutes, we spend stretching. I think that's a big mechanical issue uh, that guys are having is they're just not flexible enough with their body, which causes a lot of their issues. Awesome. And what about you, Coach Barrett? What are some of the like, mechanical flaws that you see with your pitchers, and then how do you fix it? I think um, Coach Leppard hit it on the head. Um, I think a lot of the common, you know, flaws can be fixed with, you know, core strength and flexibility. Um, as far as our program goes, we spend a ton of time in the weight room um, focusing on hip mobility, ankle mobility, um, everything that can kind of help these guys get set up, you know, to be the best pitcher they can be. Um, I don't think there's one common mechanical flaw I see in pitchers. I think that every pitcher is different, um, and I, I try to assess that. Um, you know, individually. And so for us, my goal is to get them, you know, going aggressively down the mound with a lot of intent. Um, and what I find is, especially with high school kids coming in, I feel like some of them kind of overthink the mechanical side of it and they, they end up being robots up there. And I just want them to be moving aggressively down the mound, um, thrown with intent. And I feel like that kind of cleans up a lot of the mechanical aspects that, that we need to, to fix. Obviously, it's a case-by-case basis, um, and every guy is a little bit different. But that's kind of overall what we believe is is when we can get them, you know, really clean and good on plyo balls, and then getting down the mound aggressively um, with a lot of intent. That cleans up a lot of the stuff that that we're trying to fix for them. And then, you know, individually, we'll work with them on small mechanical cues and stuff like that. Awesome. We're going to transition into the next question. I'm going to start with you first, Coach Leppert. I'm going to give you three options, and you have to pick which one is the most valuable for a pitcher, in your opinion, and why. Location, velocity, or the movement on the ball? At the high school level, uh, strictly speaking, high school baseball, I think you got to be able to throw strikes. Uh, if you don't get strikes, you're not going to get outs. Um, but I think the higher level you go, I think velocity is king. Um, in fact, I had a buddy of mine who's a Midwest scout told me that He's seen a lot of 82 to 84 strike throwers and a lot of 92 to 95 guys that are all over the place. So I asked him, so who are you turning in? He goes, well, obviously I have to turn in the 92 to 95 guy. Uh, they don't want 84 to 86. So I think 
at the higher level, you're going to look for velocity. I think at the high school level, which I'm at, I think you got to be able to throw strikes. You throw strikes in high school baseball, you're going to get outs. And what about you, Coach Barrett? Which of the three options do you think is the most valuable between movement, velocity, and location, and why? You know, for me, I, I don't think there is just one that's most valuable. Um, obviously, you know, what Coach Leppert said with levels is 100% true. Um, the higher level you go, obviously, the more velocity you need. Um, and, it, and it helps at whatever level you're at if you do have velocity. Um, but we've all seen that guy who gets up there and throws as hard as he can, and he has no idea where it goes. Um, and those guys just don't play, especially, you know, in our league and, and at our, our level. Um, but then you get the opposite of the spectrum, a guy that can locate like crazy. And, you know, he, he doesn't have days where, where he, he has days where he has success and he has days where he doesn't have success. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of a balance in an ideal world. I'd love to have pitchers with all three. Um, but I think it's our job to try to figure out how to get guys as close as we can there. Um, and then obviously, you know, if you're up in the professional levels, you got to have velocity to, to get drafted and, and do all the things that you want to do at that level. But I don't think there's one most valuable, especially at the college level. I think that a blend of all three is really important. And what about you, Coach Herman? Which of the three would you choose as the most valuable? But I think Coach Barrett, you know, kind of hit it right. You know, you, you're looking for that guy, especially at the college level, that could do all three of these things. But um, I really, I really think that you know, you at least need two out of three, and I think one of those two has to be location. Um, I think location can dictate a, a lot, a bunch of different things when it comes to a pitcher. I mean, these guys have both spoke on. You know, you get that guy that throws ninety something miles an hour, but has no idea where the ball's going. Um, so you want to look for that for that guy that has that two out of three. When you locate, you know, you could push a guy off the plate a little bit, um, make him uncomfortable, and just be able to put the ball where you want to put it into the your strengths and the hitter's weaknesses. Um, you see a lot of guys that throw hard that, that'll miss their spot right over the plate, and you could throw 90, 91 miles an hour, but, you know, if you don't know where it's going, that's that's not going to help you at all. Um, we are, we're big at Chestnut Hill on location, on throwing strikes, um, and I'll talk a little bit more later uh, about two out of threes and what we kind of do with our charting and things like that. Um, but we look for guys that could throw, that could throw strikes two out of your first three pitches that you're throwing, you know, getting the first hitter out, um, no four-pitch walks. So we're big on location, but you definitely need um, at the college level to really be successful is you, you got to have at least velo or movement um, on your pitches along with the location. Okay, we're going to move into our next question, and I'll start with you first, Coach Barrett. How do you work with the mental side of the game with your pitchers? Uh, the mental side of pitching, uh, in my opinion, is the most important part of pitching, especially at the college level. Um, there's a lot of talent on the mound in college. So what sets guys apart is the mental side of the game and the mental side of pitching. We try to work on the mental side every single day. Um, in the fall, we read a book. Last year, it was the mental ABCs of pitching. Um, and I have each player actually pick two chapters and give a presentation in front of their teammates. And I think that really helps them um, kind of get uncomfortable and shows them that, you know, on the mound, you're by yourself. And, and when you give this presentation on the mental side of the game, um, you're going to be by yourself standing up there presenting in front of all your teammates. Um, I think that's really important for them is to, to understand kind of the mental side of it and then 
allow them to be able to translate it when in their bullpens and in their uh, inner squads and stuff like that. I also believe that the chat, the most challenging part of being a coach is teaching guys how to compete. Every program has those guys that you put on the mound and, you know, they're going to compete every single pitch. Um, but every program also has that group of guys that doesn't really know how to compete yet. Um, and I think that it's our job to teach them how to compete. And it's for us, it starts with catch play. Um, our guys every single day during a portion of their catch play really compete. Uh, and it, it shows them that there is winning and losing in everything we do. Um, and I find that, you know, come the end of the season and come playoff time, those guys who typically weren't competing on every single pitch, three or four of those guys will end up being guys that compete for us every single day. And so I think that competing is, is really on the mental side of pitching. And it, I think that's one of the most underlooked things that, that I've seen in my eight years of doing this. Awesome. Good stuff, Coach Barrett. And what about you, Coach Herman? What are the ways that you work on the mental side of the game with your pitchers? Well, I mean, you got to look at baseball as a sport of failure. So the mental side of this game is so important. Um, you know, so we, we do a lot of different things. Um, I really like to use videos and articles, examples of, you know, the big league guys and them being excited, uh, successful using the mental side of the game. So we kind of, I'll send out an article or, a video or something that they got to watch and then the next day you know, practice or whatever that may be or that day I'll ask them you know what was the video about what did you get from the video what did you get for the article we'll just kind of talk it over and that kind of helps them understand how important the mental side is we also put a big emphasis on body language and confidence like coach said I mean we, we want to have a pitcher out there that's confident and has good body language so when we're throwing bullpens or, or whatnot um, if they throw a bad pitch and they have bad body language, they're going to hear it, right? And if they don't have the confidence, you know, we're doing an inner squad, you know, they're going to hear it. We're going to talk about that. Um, so we kind of put that emphasis. I think the biggest thing um, for a pitcher, in my opinion, it, with the mental side is visualizing. I think visualizing is, is so important for these guys. Um, I like them to, we talk about visualizing, executing the pitch before they actually throw the pitch um, and seeing your success before it actually happens, um, before the start of a game or, you know, the day before your start or pregame, you know, I make sure that these guys take at least five minutes and say, hey, start visualizing what's going to go on today, um, who we're against, all that stuff and get that success in your head. So I think visualization is a great tool for the mental game for a pitcher's toolbox. Awesome stuff, Coach Herman. And what about you, Coach Leppert? How do you work on the mental side of the game with your pitchers? Um, let me just give a few examples here. We, we obviously talk about uh, body language. Your body language screams. It's, it's your resume. It, it's your billboard. Um, and when I'm dealing with 15-year-olds with who have not failed their entire life in the game of baseball, it's a pretty unique experience to, to be teaching them how to deal with the mental side of the game. Um, for example, last summer we had a young man Lights out the first four or five weeks of the summer, um, traveling around at the, the PBR and the perfect game tournaments. Um, and we were playing in Oklahoma, and he had about five or six Division One scouts there to watch him throw. And he actually got ripped. Um, he was in the dugout crying. Um, so at that point, I, I really took a, a step back in kind of my coaching and, and waited till the next day to, to talk to the young man about it. Um, but we, we talked about failure. 
we talked about learning from failure. We, we talked about it's okay to fail um, as long as you're giving your best. One of the best lines Coach Savathoid says is, it's okay to be nervous. That just means you care about the game. It means something to you. So in the bullpens, we talk a lot about visualizing the game. Um, at the end, I like to do a little three-ball, two-strike, base-loaded, two-out, seventh inning, trying to finish the game kind of situation with our guys. And if we have the opportunity, we try to have the whole team surround them as they're throwing that pitch so they can feel that, that external pressure, the internal pressure with everybody looking at you. Um, the metal game is, is, I think, was the biggest separator of the guys who make it to the highest level of, of the game. You know, you look at a guy like Altuve, who was probably told his whole life he couldn't make it, but that man was just, you know, he's just a mentally tough five-foot-six guy. Um, you look at some of those ball players that you don't think would ever be, make it that you've coached. They were just the, probably the toughest guys you've coached. Um, so I think a lot of times, you know, the separator is the mental game. And as coaches, we've got to find the best way to coach it for each and every individual student that we work with. Awesome. Great stuff, Coach Leppert. And this next question will start with you, Coach Herman. What are some ways you mix up how you do your bullpens, whether it be competitions, distractions you do when the kid's trying to throw a bullpen, or even charts? What are you doing during your kid's bullpens? Well, I think it's important to change things up for sure in the bullpens. Uh, you know, when you get into a game, there's going to be different situations that you may have not encountered, and, and our goal as coaches is to do as much as we can in that practice environment to get them ready for those, for those things that are going to happen during a game. Um, so there's a lot of different things we do. We'll, we'll use bungees as a focal point at times in our bullpens to stay low in the zone. Um, I like using trackers a lot. Having a guy in the box um, kind of gets you closer to that game simulation of, of what's going to go on when a guy's in the box for you. Um, we just want we want to do as much as possible um, to get guys comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, so what we'll also do is we, we'll switch mounds during our bullpen. So we have three mounds that we'll use, the visitor side and two home sides. And, you know, every 10, 10 15, 20 pitches, um, we'll switch to a different mound um, just so they don't get too comfortable being on that mound for their entire bullpen. Um, so we do that. We'll u- we use charts for every bullpen that, that we throw. It, I think the charts help hold them accountable. Um, we make sure that that they have a goal in their bullpen um, and that they're working on that goal through the chart. And we'll also track their tempo in these bullpens. Um, we want to know what your tempo is. You know, a, a lot of different guys, everybody's an individual, but you can see in the bullpens what the tempo is for them to be successful. So that helps us when we go into a game if a guy is kind of off tempo, um, which we've had, you know, this year in the in the couple weeks that we were actually allowed to play, we, we had a guy who... His tempo is typically very fast. He gets a ball, gets on the mound, gets ready to get, gets a sign, goes. Um, well, he struggled a little bit, and we we went back and we looked and we showed the tempo from the chart that we did in the game, and we said, "Look, your tempo was way off," you know. So I think that helps a lot. So I think just mixing a lot of different things up in the bullpens, whether it's loud music, anything that can make it as uncomfortable as possible so that they can be comfortable doing that because when the spotlight's on you and you're on that mound in a game situation, um, you got to be able to stay even keel and be able to do what you do. And what about you, Coach Leppert? What are some things you do during your players' bullpens that is different and unique? 
Um, I guess we're, we're pretty blessed uh, with the scout team guys that have Rap Soto and an intern there every week with us, recording that for us. Um, one thing I like to do is, is post results. We throw bullpens every Wednesday and Sunday uh, with the guys. And uh, on Sun, on Wednesday, I'll post a, the scores from the week before, obviously, strikes, uh, close velocity. Um, but one bullpen I really enjoy doing is having our guys sprint 10, 15 times at about a 10 to 12, 15 yard pace, and then immediately go right on the mound to kind of simulate the heart uh, heart rate, the heartbeat going, um, to kind of simulate that that tough situation that guys are going to be in late in the game when that, that heart rate speeds up, and, and how do you handle that type of situation? Um, another thing we love to do is, you know, you put those dummies in there. You hit a dummy in practice, everybody hears it. So I, I love those things. Um, they're a great feedback. And then we try to move them as close as we can to the plate uh, to really challenge our guys to, to tunnel their vision and into their throwing. And what about you, Coach Barrett? What are some things you do during your bullpens with your players that's unique and different? Yeah, for, for us, we try to get on the mound as, as much as possible, um, whether that's short box, bullpen, um, inner squads, games, whatever it is. We try to get them on the mound as much as possible. I believe you know, that mixing things up in bullpens is really important. Um, you know, everything these guys said is, is outstanding stuff. Um, and we try to do different stuff as well in our pins. For a lot of our competition bullpens, um, we put two pitchers against each other, chart some kind of metric, whether it's strike percentage, first pitch strike percentage, um, curveball strike percentage, something like that. Um, another way we compete in bullpens is we actually play horse, um, just like you would on the basketball court. Our guys really love um, to get on the mound and play against each other, and so I stand behind, um, and they're telling me what pitch they want, fastball outside, and if they hit it, the other guy has to hit it or he gets an H. And our guys, um, really, you really see the competitors come out when, when they go back to something that um, they played when they were a kid on the basketball court. Um, so I try to get guys grouped around the mound as well during that time. Um, nobody knows better than us that pitchers can really talk smack to each other. And so I, I let I let the guys kind of, you know, with some restraint, talk smack to each other and, and get that pressure kind of fired up. And I like to see that, especially early in the year. I can kind of tell who's my guy that might crack, who's the guy that won't crack. And then we can kind of work from there on, on getting them a little bit better every single day. That was great stuff, guys. I know that the listeners and myself included really are going to enjoy that. So moving into the next question, I'll start with you first, Coach Leppert. When preparing for a game, what are the charts you're looking at, discussions you may be having with your pitchers, and the warm-up look like for them? Um, the warm-up, you know, we have a scripted warm-up um, given to us by the pitching coordinator, and every one of our guys uh, follow it from, uh, you know, top to bottom. We usually get to the ballpark about 90 minutes early, which I think is incredibly exceptional for a summer ball team. Um, and we go through a full stretch uh, led by our, our strength and conditioning slash athletic trainer that travels with us. Uh, bands are huge. And then we go into a full throwing routine. Pretty unique last summer. Our first game we played, we had a kid that I said, okay, let me, you know, our first game, I said, all right, go out and do your thing. And I'm just going to stand by and watch. And he immediately went to the mound. So I knew right away we had to come up with a structured program for guys to get ready to pitch. Um, we don't really chart in the bullpen per se. Um, you know, we'll just kind of go over maybe a scouting report we may have on a team, obviously, you know, in the travel ball circuit, kind of learn 
uh, a lot about teams you play with because you're seeing the same teams every week. And of course, everybody knows about the elite of the elite. Um, so we kind of go over so just a few things. But the biggest thing I think at the high school level is, is you just need to pitch to your strength. And whether or not that's a high velocity guy or a guy that has, you know, a good breaking ball or a good changeup, I think at that level, it's more about you're, you're pitching to your strength and your ability. And then, hey, let's go attack the zone and let's go attack the hitters. And what about you, Coach Barrett? What does the pregame look like for you? What are the tarts you guys are looking at, the discussions you're having, and the warm-up look like? Yeah, as far as the as the charts go, um, I do all the spray charts um, as well as gathering all the you know opposing stats and info on the opposing offense. Um, typically, the practice before the game, I try to go over the offensive scouting report with all of the pitchers, kind of as a whole, and kind of what our game plan is again going to be against individual hitters or um, you know a group of hitters or whatever it is. Um, I try not to give my my pitchers too much to ingest. I think that. You know, obviously it's a case by case basis, but you know when you give a guy too much stuff to think about, they start thinking about things that they don't need to. So especially for our starters, um, the morning of we get we get to the ballpark for an 11 a.m. start. We get there about 8 a.m. Um, and and I try to go over a little bit more uh, in detail about the offense, guys that steal, guys that um, are going to be aggressive early in the count, things like that. Um, but other than that, I just try to give the pitchers a lot of confidence in in their stuff, and and I try to tell them that no matter what guy is in the box, it doesn't matter. You're better than him, and you have the stuff to get him out. That's why you're in the situation you're in. As far as our warmups go, um, our starter and reliever pregame warmup is is similar, um, but we're big on routines, and I put together a general routine for starters and relievers at the start of the year. And then I give guys freedom within that routine to implement stuff they believe is going to help them get ready. And um, Coach Leopard is right. Some guys come in and and they have no idea what they're doing as far as a routine or a pregame routine. We get junior college guys that come in and just go right to the mound uh, the first practice for their bullpen. And um, so we really try to structure it, but we try to give them freedom within that structure. And I I think that helps the kids really buy in. And that's what I want to get them to do is when I'm not looking or when I'm not there in the summer, they're going to be doing these routines because they put them together and they, me and them put them together. And so I think that's the big thing for us. And then the last thing, our relievers uh, have an in-between inning routine during the game. And after every half inning, they have something they have to do, whether it's J bands or ladders or a breathing routine or some kind of plyometric activity. And I think that helps them stay engaged uh, for the whole game. For us, we have double headers, you know, pretty much every weekend, 18 innings. And so the guy that comes in in the sixth inning of game one is obviously going to be, it's going to be a little bit easier for them to be engaged. But I need the guy that comes in in the ninth inning of game two to be just as engaged. And so I think that routines we have in between innings really help our guys kind of stay steady with that. And what about you, Coach Herman? What does the pregame look like for you and your pitchers? The charts, the discussions, whatever it may be, the warm-up. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, well, I got to say, this is great stuff. I mean, both of these guys are really, really coming with some, with some gold here. Um, you know, when it comes to uh, the scouting report and things like that and, and charts, we, we game plan for each player in our lineup, and we talk to the pitcher and the catcher. Um, pregame so you know whatever it may be it might be 60 minutes before the game or whatnot 
we'll actually talk over and go through each guy in the lineup, how we want to throw to them, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, um, to have them on the same page. We have our catchers call the game. That's why it's so important for them to, to be doing that. Um, we believe that it speeds up you know, the tempo of the pitcher, makes their tempo you know, where it should be, speeds up the game a little bit, makes it a little bit more exciting. So um, we really educate our catchers on all of that. Uh, the day before or a couple days before, what we'll do is we'll send out a scouting report to all of the pitchers um, so they can kind of go through it. They get to read over um, what we have on the scouting report for each guy so that our relievers are, are on the same page as that starter. Um, and the pregame is more or less you know, a reminder for the, for the pitcher and the catcher of, of what we're doing with each guy and where they are in the lineup based on you know the lineup that was put together by the opposing team. And then our warm-up. So our, our game day warm-up, um, a lot of it uh, is individualized, like Coach said. Um, we really like to make sure that these guys are, are comfortable with what they're doing. They may have their own routine that works for them. Um, so we kind of put together um, a little bit of a routine that they kind of go off of, and they can kind of go off tangent a little bit as long as there's communication and we know what they're doing and it works for them. So we'll usually get started 45 to 60 minutes before the game, um, do a nice long dynamic stretch with some sprints. We go through our, our warm-up routine, which um, is, is pretty intense. I mean, our warm-up routine is, is everything you can imagine from J-bands to the shoulder tube, you know, to lacrosse ball, foam roller. You know, we do, might do a little bit of med ball work. Um, we really like to do plyos. Um, some guys uh, actually don't like to do plyos, so it's one of those things that that's a little bit you know optional with the guys as long as we know what's going on. I got guys that like to throw the football around, helps them get loose, um, and then about 30 minutes before the game is when they really start to they start their short toss, get into their long toss to kind of stretch it out, and uh, you know their pull downs as they come in, and then we do our you know 50 foot. Um, Short box with the catcher down, just on the flat ground, just working your full mechanics, working location. We move back to 60, 75, just to have different different variations before we even step on the mound. Um, then they go onto the mound and go through kind of a throwing routine, and that's also individualized. Some guys um, like to, you know, you might have a guy that likes to go wind up, stretch, wind up, stretch, something like that. You might have a guy that at the end of their, their bullpen before they go out there, um, they want to throw to a hitter, so we call balls and strikes, and we throw into a hitter in certain counts. And then, you know, about five minutes before the game, we go back into, you know, go, they go to the bench, I want them to hydrate, stay warm, um, and then, you know, take that five minutes to kind of get into that more of that visualization and that mental side and kind of preparing yourself to get out there and dominate. All right, so we talked about the bullpens. We talked about the pregame. Now let's talk about in-game. And we'll start with you first, Coach Barrett. What are the things you're looking for when your guys are throwing? And then what are you charting during the games for your pitchers? Yeah, for us, um, we'll talk about charts first. We have, we have three charts that we do every single game that are really important for me. Uh, the first one is, our, is called our game plan chart. This has first pitch strike percentage. Um, strike percentage, 3-2 count winners, batter's face, result in three pitch percentage. And that just is kind of an overall kind of how that outing went for you. So if, if we have a bad outing, we can go back 
you know, the next day and say, you know, your first pitch strike percentage was 50% or whatever it is. And, and then it can be a positive and a negative. If they have a really good start, we can go back and look and see, okay, look at what your numbers look like when you had a good start. The second one is our holding runner chart. Every time that someone gets on base in a game for us, we have two pitchers with stopwatches um, taking times to the plate. And we have to be under a one, three, five or lower in every single, every single time someone gets on base and we mark it down every single time someone throws our pitcher takes the time, marks it down. And that way at the, you know, after the game, if, you know, we had an inning where they ran on us a lot, we can go back and look and see kind of what was going on and whether we're one for that inning one five, and, and then we can communicate that to them. Um, and then the last one is our most important chart. And I took this straight from Justin James at Point Loma University um, it's called the PRP chart, positive response percentage. Essentially, we track every time something bad happens um, when you're on the mound, whether that be a walk, an error, a hit, whatever it is, something bad. After every time something bad happens, we want them to respond with a positive response. So if my guy gives up a hit, um, he gets a tally. And then right after that hit, if he gets the next batter out, he gets another tally. And so he's one for one. If he didn't get that next hitter out, then he'd be 0 for 1. And so we kind of track the how how well we do with that. And what we found was interesting this year, we played 29 games um, out of 55 for the season this year before it was cut short. But we saw that with our PRP chart, if we were above 60%, we were 14-2. and 2, And when we were below 60%, we were 2-11. and 11. So I think that that's something really tangible for the guys to see. Like, okay, things bad things are going to happen to me, but if I respond positively to that, then we can still have success in that game. Um, and as far as what I look for, you know, on the mound when guys are throwing, I think it's just important to look at body language like we've talked about. If I see a guy that looks like he doesn't want to be out there or if I see a guy that um, maybe looks a little bit fatigued, then we, we try to get him out as soon as possible. So the biggest thing I look for is body language, or body language and then we don't talk mechanics in game. Um, so I just try to get them to, to compete and, and understand that if we have good body language and that confidence, then we're going to have success. And if I see them falter for that, then we go get someone hot in the pin and, and try to get them out of there. And what about you, Coach Herman? In game, what are the things you're looking for with your pitchers, whether it be their body language, like Coach Barrett said, maybe you're doing some charts, discussions you may be having with your pitchers in game. Can you break all that down and draw a picture for us in games with your pitchers? Yeah, so we have we chart um, the pillars of our program. Uh, so the pillars of our program are are winning the two out of threes, um, no four pitch walks, and and getting the leadoff hitter out. We also um, so when we talk about two out of threes, I think it was Jerry Weinstein that that I saw a, a Twitter account and and he he put a post out there that showed the percentages and success rate of. Um, counts and things of that nature and it showed that the 1-1 count was actually more important than the 0-0 count so when we kind of delved into this we put these charts together to where our guys are looking at we have you know when it's the next day's pitcher that's charting all this stuff to kind of because it's going to keep them more into the game because that's the team that he's that he's facing the next day uh, especially in our series so we'll go two out of threes um your percentage there what your percentage is for pitch walks, did you have any of them? Um, our goal is obviously to have none and getting the leadoff hitter out. Um, we, we really focus on minimizing a big inning or having a shutdown inning after we score runs. It's so very important for the momentum side of things to have that shutdown inning 
um, after you score a run or two or whatever it may be. And then getting that leadoff hitter out has been important because getting that leadoff hitter out significantly decreases their chances to have that big inning. Um, big innings are huge in this game. We chart the tempo just like we do in our bullpen, so we're able to see, okay, this guy's tempo is off compared to what it normally is, and he's not being successful, so I might talk to him if they come in the next inning, or we might just see that it's just not their day, their tempo is all over the place, their body language isn't good. Um, so we kind of look for that. So those are the things that we chart. We also chart, you know, we put the spray charts together and what the hitters are doing on certain pitches and things like that, and it kind of helps helps the catcher and pitcher on the same page throughout the rest of the game. Um, but our biggest thing is we see that if you're being successful in your two out of threes, you're not having any four-pitch walks, and you're getting the leadoff hitter out, you're going to have success that day. There's no doubt. And what about you, Coach Leppert? Take us into the in-game with your players. What charts are you doing? What's the conversations you have with your pitchers? What are you looking for in your pitchers? Can you draw that picture for us? Uh, Coach Barrett and Coach Herman nailed it on the head. The the A3P chart um, from the One Pitch Warrior, Coach Weinstein, is is absolutely, I think, the biggest key when it comes to charting your pitchers or in-game adjustments. That 1-1 count, that swing count, is absolutely critical in the development of a pitcher, whether or not you can win that count. Um, so we chart that. Uh, we also use the, the strike chart by Justin Deemer of One Pitch Warrior. Our goals are to have a shutdown inning, 13 pitches or less. Obviously, we want to retire the leadoff hitter. If we can get that guy out, we've got a great chance to, to have a great inning. Uh, a 1-2-3 inning, and uh, they get a point for every K. And then they obviously get a point for ending an inning which I think is, is a big thing for our guys to understand the importance of, of finishing their job. And then they come back in and we talk. One thing I don't do is call pitches. Um, I think for the first seven or eight years of my coaching career, I called every pitch. And the one thing I've learned is, is the more I turn that, that over to our catcher and pitcher, the more conviction they throw the pitch with. Um, I may call a pitch that they completely disagree with and I may not throw that pitch with conviction. Um, so when they come in and if they've made a, a pitch that we disagree with, we talk it over. A lot of times it comes down to guys wanting to get a strikeout. And so they'll try to throw their breaking ball when they've blown the first two fastballs by guys. So a lot of that is kind of in-game adjustments. Um, but obviously you know, both coaches nailed it. The A3P chart is probably the biggest chart that you can use. And I'm really intrigued by this Justin Games chart when it comes to the positive response. So, it's something we can incorporate hopefully this summer. And then I also give them a little sheet um, that they fill out and turn in the next day. You know, what did you do right? Uh, how was your warm up? What did you eat before you pitched? How was your hydration level? Uh, and, and most importantly, I think, is how was your sleep the night before? So, so those are just some of the things we give to the guys. And then on Monday morning, when I turn in my report, I send in the A3P, the strike one chart. And then I like to keep track of batting average and balls in play. I think that's a, a good indicator of how well that guy threw that day. Um, so those are just some of the things we use and talk about uh, in-game adjustments and, and after-game. Great stuff, guys. And we're going to end the podcast with this question right here, and I'll start with you first, Coach Herman. So they throw the game. What is your arm care recovery program for your pitchers once they get done throwing? Yeah, uh, recovery is huge. Um, 
for any pitcher and actually any position player. I think we, we've had very good success with our recovery program. We've had less arm fatigue and injuries going to the next day and their next start um, than they've had in the past, and the guys have really bought into it. We, we've even had our position players um, have bought into the, to the arm care, to the recovery, um, because they're throwing too, and those guys will have sore arms from throwing across the diamond over and over again, and you know they'll come over at the end of practice or at the end of a game, and they'll come do the shoulder tube or the J bands, and and they've even said, hey, this this really works for us. So um, a lot of our recovery is some of the stuff that we do in our warm up. So you know, just to go through kind of kind of real quick. So our recovery is part of it is something that we got from driveline and then we have the j band so we do we do the rebounders we'll do plyo rebounders we'll do band pull aparts um upward tosses this is this is right after you come out of the game um you'll go through the j bands shoulder tube uh, i'll tell you the shoulder tube or shoulder blade is th you know that's the that's the one thing that these guys love more than anything else um really engages the shoulder really helps recovery really helps warming up um, so that, that's one that they really love. Uh, and then we have a running routine that kind of depends on how many pitches you throw or, you know, what, what day it is during the week. But, um, after a game, um, we'll have them do either like a sprint circuit or a shuttle circuit or a ladder circuit, you know, something that's fast twitch. I really like to, to keep with the fast twitch stuff. We really only do a distance run rarely. It might be after you start and maybe through, a, a good amount of pitches, you know, 80 plus pitches, it might be, hey, just go for, for a distance run, but then it gets followed up with some sprints so that you keep your fast twitch muscles going. We also work our core and our abs, whether it be with med balls or whatever we're doing, just to keep everything there strong and ready to go. And then, you know, I tell the guys, you know, stim, and, stim or ice or both. You know, it, it's a whole thing with, with being individual, and these guys know their arms better than anybody. So, you know, we'll have guys that'll try stim and say, I love this, I want to always do stim. We'll have guys that say, hey, ice works for me, or we'll have guys that say, hey, ice doesn't do anything for me. Um, so they kind of have that option. So we have these little stim machines that we use um, for the guys. But another another big part of recovery is just um, uh, getting it through to these guys about sleep and nutrition. Um, and flexibility and stretching. So when they're when they're at their their dorm or their house, whatever it is, you know, at our level, you know, making sure that you guys are stretching, that you're hydrating, that you're eating the right things, and that you get a good night's sleep and get into a nice good routine each and every night. And what about you, Coach Leppert? What's the arm recovery program for your players when they're throwing? Great question. Again, I've brought it up a few times. Pretty blessed that we travel with a certified athletic trainer. Uh, last summer, he did a great job running our recovery program. When our guys get done Phoenix pitching immediately, they go to uh, Mason last summer. Uh, Mason would take them to the bullpen uh, where they would do some bands and some agility work and a lot of stretching and a lot of med work, med ball work and, and some ab work. Um, and then most of the hotels we stayed in last summer had treadmills and pools. So we really felt like the pool helped our guys with the recovery process of not beating their body down on, on a treadmill or, or the weight room, wherever they can use their own body weight in the pool. Um, 
but most of our guys are dual guides. So we've got to kind of monitor the amount of work we've put on them when it comes to the conditioning portion, because they may be asked to play left field that day. You know, we try to do a good job of having the starting pitcher from the day before use a DH the next day to kind of give his body an opportunity to respond. But I think, I think the coaches have nailed it on the head here. You know, sprint work has is, is become the, the thing that guys use. When I was playing, it was after you got done pitching, you went on a 30-minute run, and then the next day you did another 30-minute run. And, and I think, uh, you know, science has shown us that, that sprint work is, is a big difference maker for pitchers. And uh, we've obviously talked a lot about flexibility and hip mobility. Um, so our guys do a lot of that type of stuff. We, we try not to – to make it too overly complicated, but, you know, we try to follow a routine that has been given to us and, and we try to attack it. Awesome. Well, one this podcast right here with you, Coach Barrett. Can you break down the arm recovery program that you do with your guys once they get done throwing? Yeah, um, I think that the arm recovery phase of pitching, especially over the last few years, has become you know, kind of the focal point, and, and I love it. I think that it's super important for our guys, um, especially for us, you know, with the 55-game season in, in three, four months, it, it makes it tough for the guys that, you know, are, are throwing a lot of innings for us. So I think the arm care part um, really has to be something that you guys put together, you know, with, with your player. Um, I put it together with my players and stuff like that. And so we do. We take a lot of the stuff from driveline. Um, they're the they're the smartest people in this game, based on pitching. To be honest with you, um, what the stuff they do is amazing, and um, they're a lot smarter than I am. So I take a lot of the stuff we do from driveline, whether that be the rebounders, the upward toss, all that kind of stuff. Um, we also do an aspect of crossover symmetry. It's the recovery portion of crossover symmetry, and I really like that because it really engages the scaps for the guys. And I think that the scaps are. A really an underutilized um, part of the body that people don't really focus on that much. So I love the crossover symmetry stuff. Um, we implemented that this year, and I think the guys really, really enjoyed that. Um, for everything we do with our recovery, the players have, you know, freedom to do what they want. And like all the coaches have said, the players know their bodies way better than I do. Um, the player knows their arm way better than I do. So I think it's really important to communicate with them and let them know that, hey, if there's something that you want to do that that makes you feel better, um, let me know. And then we can kind of discuss that and implement that into your recovery routine. And then same thing for us as far as the conditioning goes. We're big on sprint work. Um, I tell all our guys, you won't run long distance unless you're out of shape. So um, if they're in shape, then then they, they run all sprints. We do sprint work um, after every start. We do sprint work, you know, three or four practices a week. So um, I'm really big into the fast twitch muscles as well. And I think that's really important because pitching, you know, it's a 12 to 15 second break and then you go short burst. So um, just like all the research has shown, sprint work is, is definitely, you know, really beneficial to these guys. And so that's kind of how we tackle arm recovery. But I think that the most important thing to understand, especially if, if a high school kid's listening or someone that doesn't have a pitching coach or something like that, is is do your research into the recovery part of it and understand that that's going to take you farther than, than most things because in order to throw, you have to be healthy. No matter how hard you throw, if you're not healthy, um, it's not going to happen for you. So really, really dive into the recovery portion of it, and I think that can really help anybody. That wraps it up for the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. 
If you would be interested in being part of an episode yourself, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Coach Crato, K-R-A-T-O. Thank you.